safer sex. Intercourse. Conduct. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Sex is an important part of our lives. There's no shame in having sexual contact. Um, it's, it's not possible to avoid 100%. And as a result, most of us have some kind of herpes. If someone was so freaked out that they didn't want to have a conversation about it, I couldn't wear that fear on myself. I couldn't take that on board because I knew how common herpes was. Welcome to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast, where we discuss all things related to sexual health. I'm Tom, and today we're discussing herpes. Herpes is an STI which causes a lot of anxiety. But is it really all that bad? To help answer this question, I'm joined by Samantha Blake from the Sexual Health Infolink. You haven't done anything wrong. There's absolutely no shame in getting herpes. That doesn't mean that there isn't stigma related to herpes. I'll then be speaking to Stephanie DeVries, who will share her lived experience. You would tell someone that you had herpes and you don't know how they are going to react to that news. But first up is Samantha Blake. Sam is a clinical nurse specialist at the Sexual Health Infolink. This is a phone line where people call up and get clinical advice on various questions to do with sexual health. Look, I went into nursing knowing that I wanted to work in primary care, health promotion in some capacity. And, you know, I think as a queer person, as someone who had worked in the sex industry myself in the past, I was really drawn to sexual health. Of course, sexual health is relevant for, you know, anybody who is sexually active, but the impact of HIV and STIs and stigma around sexuality is certainly, you know, affected um, queer people, um, people who are doing sex work, people on the margins in different ways disproportionately. Yeah, my interest in health has always been tied up in my interest in justice. So sexual health sort of is the intersection of all that. And for nurses, it's, it's one of the areas in health where you can work pretty autonomously. You get to work across clinical care, health education and promotion. And so that was an exciting space for me. And I, I get to do my favorite part of sexual health, which is actually talking about sexual health. I feel really honored to be, you know, trusted with people's vulnerable and intimate questions. I feel like so many gaps in, in people's sexual health knowledge. And so being able to provide really practical information has huge impacts on people's lives. And that's really fulfilling for me. The Sexual Health Infolink has been running since 1989. It's a 1-800 number where members of the public and health professionals can call to get advice around sexual health topics. And there's a huge range of reasons that, that people call on the line. It's really common that people will call because they've had a recent sexual experience that has triggered some concern about STIs for whatever reason, and they're trying to find out you know, what they're at risk of, um, whether they need to get tested, where to get tested. Lots of calls with people who've got symptoms of something that they're concerned about and are wanting to get advice. But one of the things that I think is really special about the information line is that it's a place where you can um, often spend a little bit more time 
getting information about something that you've been diagnosed with, for example. So, you know, oftentimes people will find out that they've got HPV on a cervical screening test, or they'll get diagnosed with, with herpes at a GP or a sexual health clinic. And for various reasons, either because they feel overwhelmed at the time and it's hard to take in the information or the consultation is, is a bit rushed and they, you know, aren't provided with a lot of information. It's so valuable in health to be able to walk away from that consultation have a think about what you need to know and then come back and be able to ask questions in, you know, not a, a super rushed sort of way where the priority is just getting the information you need. So a lot of the calls we get are about people just seeking more information about, about an infection that, that has impacted them some way, whether they've been diagnosed or a partner has or whatever the case may be. And of course, a herpes diagnosis is a major reason why people call. Look, herpes is one of the most common reasons that people call the information line. And, and really interestingly, the primary issue is the, the way that it affects people's feelings about themselves, about their body, about their relationship and their, their future prospects. So, you know, I guess there's, there's a few different kind of ways that people present issues around herpes. So sometimes it can be in the midst of a very new diagnosis and, um, you know, the vast majority of people who have herpes actually get really mild symptoms and might actually have no idea that, you know, that occasional little rash that they get that comes and goes is herpes, or, you know, they might have noticed a small cut that they weren't sure where it came from, heals in a few days, and they actually never get diagnosed with herpes because the symptoms are so mild. But there's a certain proportion of people that get the classic primary symptoms of herpes, which is painful uh, blisters. And sometimes you can even feel sort of a whole body sickness where your immune system is just flared up. So it's like you feel feverish as well. So sometimes we get calls from people who are in the midst of that flare and are very overwhelmed by the experience. If you've ever had pain, you know that it can take up so much of your mental and emotional energy and make you very raw as well. So they're both dealing with like the physical discomfort, not being able to think about anything else. And then they're swimming in the stigma of herpes, which says, this is an infection that you have for life. This is, you know, the worst STI out there. It's never going to go away. What does it mean for future sexual relationships? How are you going to tell your partner? So in those kind of cases, you know, it's really about, first of all, acknowledging people's experience it's painful and that it's real and giving them the space to you know have the feelings that they're they're feeling then you know we want to talk about what is the pain management because the first thing we need to do is make sure that taking care of yourself and your body and so giving some advice about you know simple analgesia sometimes people forget that panadol and norfin's not just for headaches sometimes people will stop uh, drinking water because it hurts to pee. So giving people information about actually drinking more water is going to dilute your urine. It's going to make it less painful to pass urine. And it's really important to to not end up holding your urine, which can cause other problems. Peeing in the bath or pouring water over yourself when you're going to the toilet can also help with that. So we talk through some different strategies there. While there is no cure for herpes, there are treatments that help to manage symptoms. However, one of the major concerns that people newly diagnosed with herpes have is disclosure and whether they need to tell prospective sexual partners. 
So the majority of people who call, because most people have mild symptoms, are actually just coming from that place of, I've been diagnosed with herpes. I don't really understand what it means, but I'm terrified of how it's going to affect my relationships. I don't know how to talk about it. Will anyone accept me? That kind of thing. So oftentimes I'll start with, well, let's back up and talk about what herpes actually is. There's a, there's a huge range of knowledge about herpes, but essentially most of us actually have some kind of herpes. So I'll start with that. The majority of us have some kind of herpes, but we don't know about it. And the reason is, is, you know, what I've alluded to a bit before is that the majority of people who have herpes have such mild symptoms that they never get diagnosed. It's also not part of routine STI screening. So even people who are really diligent about their sexual health care and always get an STI test whenever they start a new relationship or at regular intervals, they will assume sometimes mistakenly that they're being tested for herpes. So they don't have herpes if, if, if nothing ever comes back positive. But in fact, the only reliable test that we have for herpes is a swab test that relies on when you have symptoms. So if you don't have symptoms, we're not testing for herpes. Another common form of herpes is the cold sore. We're all at risk of herpes. There's nothing moral about any STI, but herpes is an infection that can even be passed through non-sexual contact. And even the most diligent among us can still end up with herpes because it's impossible to avoid 100%. While cold sores are a type of herpes, there are actually two strains of the virus. Yeah, so there's two types of herpes, herpes type 1 and herpes type 2. Historically, herpes type 1 was the cold sore virus on the mouth and herpes type 2 was genital herpes. Over time, probably as oral sex has become more commonplace in people's you know, sexual behaviors, herpes type 1 is now just as common on the genitals as herpes type 2. So when we're talking about genital herpes, it's about half herpes type 1 and half herpes type 2. The mouth still is usually herpes type 1. But because herpes type 1 is either mouth or genitals, about 80% of us have herpes 2. So the vast majority of us, and remember, most people who have it don't know they have it. So when we're talking about cold sores on the mouth, you can have herpes type 1 on the mouth without cold sores as well. So just like genital herpes can be asymptomatic or not cause symptoms, mouth herpes that you got in childhood can also be asymptomatic. So you might have gotten this infection and have had it forever and you have no idea you have it. Genital herpes, the other type is herpes type 2, which is still, it's not as common, but it's still really common. So it's about 1 in 8 people in Australia have herpes type 2. I often say, um, you know, think about all the people that you work with, all the people in your, you know, social media networks, all the people in your family, one in eight have herpes type 2 as well. So you almost certainly know dozens, if not hundreds of people who have herpes type 2. They might not know that they have it, but that's what the statistics tell us. So this is a really, really common infection. Another common question is how to prevent passing on herpes to sexual partners. If we go back to um, cold sores, which most people are familiar with, it's the same principles. Like we all know if you get cold sores, avoid kissing someone when the cold sore is present. And the same thing is true for genital herpes. If you have symptoms, 
the number one thing is to avoid any contact at the time the symptoms are present because you're definitely contagious then. The rest of the time when you don't have symptoms, and this is true for cold sores or genital herpes, you're usually not contagious. But there can be these blips where you have enough viral shedding on the surface of the skin without symptoms that it can be passed on to other people. So because we can't say exactly when those blips are happening, and it might be one hour in the month and you just, you you can't predict when it is, we say it's a low risk of passing it on when you don't have symptoms, but it's never going to be no risk. You can decrease that low risk even further by using condoms for penetrative sex, using dental dams for, uh, for oral sex on the vulva or the anus. But any, nothing is 100% if there is skin-to-skin rubbing in those general areas. So the genital herpes can be anywhere from the whole kind of pelvic area, inner thigh, buttock, even lower back. Um, and oral herpes is, you know, around the lips and the nose typically. It's possible to get herpes actually anywhere on your skin, particularly if you have a cut on the skin as a good pathway, but it's most easily transmissible to the genitals and the mouth. Now, if you already have herpes, so, you know, if you find out that you've got herpes and you talk to your partner about it and they have the same type of herpes, even if it's on a different part of the body, so one person has herpes type one on the mouth and the other has herpes type one on the genitals, it's actually really unlikely that you'll infect each other on the other sites that you're exposed to because once you have the infection, you develop antibodies to prevent it from spreading all over your body. So you can imagine if it was, you know, after you got herpes type one as a child, how many times throughout your life you're touching your face and touching all parts of your body. If it was easily spread, then we'd all be covered in in herpes. Um, But, you know, it prevents, luckily your body prevents that self-inoculation and it also prevents um, getting infected in another site, even if you're exposed there. Not 100%, but it's rare to have the infection, the same type of herpes in more than one location. For those people who do have severe symptoms, there is medication available. Not everybody requires any treatment, any medication. And so it's important to let people know that the medicine that we have is, is not important for their health, like to prevent you know, having complications or something like that. The antiviral medication we have can be really useful at reducing the severity of symptoms. So if you take it right away at the first sign of symptoms, it, it sort of jumpstarts the healing process so that it doesn't keep kind of getting worse and then heal later on. So it kind of cuts that arc off and starts the healing process a bit sooner. So it both is less severe and heals faster. So that's really important for people who have uncomfortable symptoms. But for people who the whole, the whole arc only takes 48 hours and, you know, it's not particularly painful, there's no reason that you need to take the medication. I think one of the reassuring things that I want to tell people about herpes when they call as well is that this is really a skin infection. What I mean by that is a lot of the other STIs, we're we're really rigorous about getting people tested and treated quickly who've been exposed because 
You can have chlamydia, for example, without any symptoms, but it can be getting deeper into the reproductive tract and causing problems internally. Herpes is an infection that really just affects the skin. And the issue is just if you're having irritation on your skin. So if you don't have skin symptoms, you don't need to worry that the infection is something is doing something else to your body. It's not going to affect your fertility. So there's no um, worries about being able to fall pregnant or get someone pregnant in the future because you have herpes. Unlike, you know, some other STIs, there's no connection to cancer. It's not an infection that is linked to causing cancer in the long term. As I said before, if anything, you know, the symptoms tend to get less and less over time rather than becoming more complicated or serious over time. The medication is mostly just about symptom management. So if you're a person in the majority who doesn't have symptoms or who gets mild symptoms, then, you know, there's not even any need for, for treatment. So for the most part, you know, from a medical perspective, it's considered a really uh, mild, common skin infection. Most of the symptoms are um, not clinically significant. And if they are, it's, it's, it's usually limited to that first outbreak. Given that herpes are so common and that symptoms reduce over time, it begs the question, is the stigma worse for the disease? Yeah. So I think the stigma makes it really hard to talk about if you get diagnosed. It's not one of those things that people feel comfortable telling, telling their friends and asking questions about. Although I can't tell you when I became a sexual health nurse, how many people sort of suddenly blurted out, you know, my friends would tell me their experience of being diagnosed with herpes because suddenly I was a safe person to, um, to talk about it with. So I suddenly got to know that a lot of my friends knew that they did have herpes. But the other thing is that you know, it's, it's that thing of, we don't know what we don't know. So there's a lack of education about herpes. And because it's not part of routine testing, we're not familiar with it as something that, that you, that you hear about. It's not something that you necessarily know that you have. So you don't, the burden ends up falling on that smaller proportion of people who have the classic symptoms and um, actually get the diagnosis. Because people who are diagnosed with herpes and had a bad, you know, who've really taken it to heart are the people who are actually most concerned for future partners and, you know, um, want to do the most to protect that person, want to do the most to be transparent and honest with that person. But what can happen is that they may inadvertently really reproduce the stigma by the way that they disclose to people. You know, someone who've had, who's had a really traumatizing experience emotionally with the diagnosis might approach it with a new partner like <clears throat> I want to tell you something about myself that is the worst thing that's ever happened to me a few years ago I got diagnosed with this infection and it was so devastating that I cried for weeks I couldn't sleep I couldn't eat I haven't been able to talk to anyone about it something that I've had counseling for and I've read up on and I've you know done all this work around and I'm telling you because I never would want that to happen to you. And you can see how that's actually really vulnerable and authentic and it comes from a caring place, but it also sets the person up to go, this is really serious and this is really, really scary. 
It's really important when you talk to someone to first off, make sure that you've had the space to process what your emotional experience has been with this diagnosis. I've given you the information about the clinical side of things, but how it's made you feel about yourself and your body and your sexuality, what it's brought up for you um, is something that sometimes you need some time to process. And even with a, a counselor, a professional to work through that so that you can actually come to a potential partner out of that space of deep shame and grief and instead come with the facts. So, you know, often I suggest bringing it up in the context of cold sores because most people know what that is. They're familiar with it and there's a a lot less stigma around it. So you can bring it up in, in the sense of, you know, have you ever had cold sores growing up or know someone who did? And invariably, if they haven't had it themselves, and, and that's a good opening for them to be able to um, disclose that they had had it in a safe way, which is great. But even if they haven't had it, they've almost certainly know someone who is. And you say, well, I have that infection as well. I ended up getting it on the genitals. This is what it's meant for me. At first, I thought it was a really big deal, but I've actually learned that it's incredibly common and so common that most of us have it. And most people don't know that they have it. Sam has recommended some trustworthy websites that you can go to to find out more information about herpes. The links are in the description. If you're thinking of disclosing a herpes diagnosis to a sexual partner, why not send them this information? Or share this podcast. If they're looking for more information, be ready with um, some references for them. Because the one thing I advise everybody, both for yourself and people that you want to disclose to is don't do a Google search about herpes. It will only lead to misery and panic. There's a lot of bad information online and even some of the things that are clinically accurate are actually very focused on the worst case scenario and don't give any context. So give you a really false idea of what the typical presentation of herpes is. Next up, I'm speaking to Stephanie DeVries. To find out more about her experience of living with herpes and some of the ways that she helps to fight herpes-related stigma. I'm 36 years old. Um, I'm a cisgender pansexual woman in a straight relationship um, for the last uh, three years and I'm a proud mum of two dogs. Um, I grew up in Adelaide um, till my teenage years and then have mostly been based on the central coast of New South Wales, which is where I am today. Um, So work-wise, I've worked in sexual health for about seven years and I've just taken a pivot in the last 12 months and I'm now working in drug and alcohol and hepatitis C as a health promotion officer. Stephanie has been living with herpes for around 15 years, but she only had an official diagnosis around 10 years ago. Yeah, so I did get my diagnosis at a sexual health clinic and I'm sure that um, Sam, the nurse that you're talking to, will talk in detail about how that sort of works because it is a bit um, complicated um, about when you can get a diagnosis, which is basically when you do have an outbreak. So I'd been having outbreaks for about five years before I got my um, first diagnosis. Generally, my outbreaks happen um, all over my bum, um, and yeah, sometimes sort of more around towards the labia. So it can spread and move around a little bit. And I was getting these blisters 
And I just thought that I must have had a bad spider bite for a long time. I actually had no idea that I had herpes. It I just would come up and then it would um, go away. So the first time I remember having a, my first outbreak was I was actually on a tanning bed back in the day when solariums weren't illegal um, and the UV um, caused me to have this huge outbreak on my bum and I just had no idea um, what it was. So I was just at a sexual health clinic having a standard checkup and I was actually having an outbreak at the time and I'd flagged it. I need to ask about this. And they said, the nurse said, sure, we'll just do a swab, took a swab off the blisters that were on my bum cheek. Um, and then I got the result that I had genital herpes or HSV type 2. So um, the nurse at the clinic was really fa- fabulous. They gave me lots of great resources and um, we were able to have a conversation there and then about it. So it sort of set me on the right path for, you know, living, I guess, with the diagnosis down the down the track. Often when people are first diagnosed with herpes, the first question that comes into their mind is who they might have acquired it from. I asked Stephanie if there was a particular occasion she could think of where she might have come into contact with it. That's such a great question. Like I said, I was totally oblivious to the fact that I had herpes for so many years because I don't know why, but I had told myself some sort of story that I have some weird spider bite or, um, and I was ignorant, you know, I wasn't working in sexual health at the time, um, didn't have access to all the resources. Um, And so I was surprised when I learned that I had gentle herpes, even though I'd lived with it already for um, so long. So I couldn't really you know, pinpoint a place or a time because then when I think back to where I was in my um, sexual career back then, I'd only dated, um, I'd only had sex with a handful of people at that stage when I had my first outbreak. Um, So uh, there was not really um, any telling and I now having conversations with other people because for a while, I was quite outspoken on my social media about it, really just trying to normalise um, having herpes for people. But they'll say, oh, I think that my partner um, gave me herpes or I would see when I was um, moderating on the PlaySafe online discussion forum that people would say, oh, they must have cheated or something's happened. And I'm sure Sam will go into this as well. But you can't pinpoint because herpes can be in your system for a long time before you actually have a breakout. So it could be from a a sexual encounter really a decade previously or something and you're not going to know um, where that source of transmission was. So I really um, have absolutely no idea how I got herpes. All I know is that I have it and I just have to manage that to, you know, make sure that it's not interfering with my life and not interfering with my self-esteem. And so I have no idea. And could I have then transmitted it to other people? Like definitely before I um, had a diagnosis, before I knew what steps to take as well too. But um, there isn't any hard and fast way, I don't think, to know where or who um, or how unless a person that you're having sex with is, you know, 
um, has herpes and knows that they have the diagnosis. So really difficult to sort of navigate that. I, I guess it was different for me being a single person at the time and not really having that worry about the partner or any of those sort of question marks. But I can imagine that in um, monogamous relationships, if someone has a herpes outbreak five years into a relationship and their partner doesn't have herpes or doesn't know that they have herpes, then maybe that could cause some friction when, in fact, um, you shouldn't be pointing the finger because there actually is no way to tell. There can be some lifestyle adjustments that help to reduce the severity or frequency of outbreaks. And I know if I'm setting myself up for an outbreak, if that makes sense, in that I have maybe gone to a few social events or pulled a few late-nighters and things like that, and I can feel myself getting run down. So generally being run down is where I would normally have an outbreak and then also the UV. So if I do decide to, you know, garden outside in my bikini, um, I, I am putting myself at risk of potentially having an outbreak as well too. So it's just sort of keeping that in the back of, of, the, of my mind um, to try and not have an outbreak because the outbreaks, um, unfortunately, I'm one of the people whose outbreaks don't get less. As I age, I generally have the same severity of outbreaks. I think the biggest impact is actually the physical symptoms um, that I have from my herpes diagnosis. And I found that being open and transparent about my diagnosis that a lot of people experience the same physical symptoms. So like I said earlier, my outbreaks are of consistently of the same sort of size. Um, so I end up with quite a large herpes outbreak about the size, you know, up to the size of the palm of my hand, you know, it's a lot of space. And then what happens is that my glands in my groin are then becoming inflamed um, from the herpes and then I'm getting a lot of pain as well too and that pain can sort of be going down my legs and so the physical symptoms can sometimes be really difficult to deal with because especially if I've got a big outbreak all over my bum and I'm sitting in a chair for eight hours of the day as well too I can be quite uncomfortable so for me the the physical side of the outbreaks is always the hardest and when I was single and dating and hooking up like I didn't know if I was going to be having an outbreak and then so it was always navigating those sexual encounters or having that conversation with people especially if I you know we were meeting up to have a drink hopefully to hook up later and then I'm like well here's a dampener for you <laughs> I have an active herpes outbreak um, and so having those conversations with people um, on top of the sort of physical symptoms, it was then having to have those conversations with people that I was dating that were potential sexual partners about my diagnosis because I really wanted to be transparent um, about it. And I also, like you said, there's a lot of stigma around STIs in general and I think that herpes is definitely the STI that gets a worst stigma um, and it's been around for such a long time so you would tell someone that you had herpes and you don't know how that they how they are going to react to that news 
And then are they going to be curious about it? Are they going to want to find out more about the condition or are they going to shut it down and not want to talk to you anymore or see you again? And so navigating that I think is definitely tricky. I'm very comfortable in navigating that. I was really fortunate with my diagnosis. I had a great nurse who put me onto great resources and then also working in sexual health over the years has expanded my knowledge. So I come from a position where I have a lot of knowledge and I can actually be reassuring to someone. We can talk about creative ways to, um, you know, reduce transmission. And I think too, when it comes to STIs and when it comes to sex in general, it's allowed to be a little bit funny. It's allowed to be a little bit creative and herpes just really um, pushed me out of my comfort zone to learn how to have these conversations. But at the end of the day, if someone was so freaked out that they didn't want to have a conversation about it, I couldn't wear that fear on myself I couldn't take that on board because I knew how common herpes was I know I'm not um I I can't remember what the number is um but it wasn't really that bigger of a deal to me but if they were going to make it a big deal because they were carrying that sort of societal stigma around I was like that's fine While the physical symptoms can cause discomfort, a lot of the anxiety around herpes really comes from stigma. By talking about it openly, we hope to normalise these conversations and hopefully make it a little bit easier for the next person. When I had been really upfront on social media, so I'd post a picture of my bum in full herpes outbreak glory and it would always be my most engaged social media post, which I thought was hysterical because I thought my face was so much, um, you know, my selfies were so much better looking than my herpes bum. Um, But people would really um, engage. And then I would always say, if you want to have a DM chat, get in touch and people would get in contact and, you know, people that I've known for a long time, they said, I've been living, you know, with herpes for a few years and I'm worried about having these conversations and navigating this in my relationship or you know did my partner cheat on me and all of this sort of all of these questions would come up um and it you know would always be like no your your sex life isn't over over um you need to arm yourself with the resources so you know how to talk about it with people um learn about your different treatment options um, for you it's not durable but you can definitely manage your herpes very easily um, either you can take suppressive medication or you can take episodic medication it's super common um, there's creative ways to have sex um, and to you know protect your partner as best as you can um, and yeah, not to not to think that it's the end of um, your life or it's something to be ashamed about because really, like physically, yeah, the symptoms can really suck for some people, you know. Um, but 
in your day-to-day, I don't think, it, it doesn't have any bearing on me. Um, it's no indication of, you know, whether I'm a, a good or bad, in air quote, you know, person, or it doesn't affect, yeah, how I move through the world. And I just think that knowledge is power, and the more that you learn about it, um, the more you can educate yourself and then educate the people around you and pull people up if they make a joke about it or say something stigmatising about it. You've been listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we've been discussing herpes. To stay up to date with the latest information in sexual health, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. We've also put a bunch of useful links in the description if you want to find out more. Have you been diagnosed with herpes or know somebody who has? Why not share this podcast with them? They might find the information in it useful. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.